discussing the banning uh, of uh, public property as well. Recapping the top stories, South Africa's Deputy President calls on South Sudanese leaders to respect their peace deal. A Zimbabwean protest pastors called in for questioning by police and Lesotho urged to launch an investigation into the attack of a newspaper editor. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're going to be speaking about the issue of regional integration. What does that actually mean? Sometimes these terms, as I mentioned when we started the program, they're so high level. And us on the ground, we don't understand these terms or the projects associated to these ideas like regional integration. Well, also, the reason why we're doing this is that there was a recent report that came out saying that the East African community has been cited as the most integrated region in Africa. This is according to the Africa Regional Integration Index Report. This is the first initiative to be developed to measure the progress on regional integration in the continent. And Africa has spent much of the past decade investing in physical infrastructure, but must not forget the development of human capital as well. And investing in education also is another issue, particularly in science and technology, which will also bring about gains for the citizens of the continent. So today... We want to unpack this issue of uh, integration on the continent. We've got on the line Kudzanayi Bangure, who is the manager of uh, the NBF's Africa Infrastructure Desk, and he will focus really on Africa's integration, specifically on the integration through transport uh, corridors. And the NBF is the NAPED Business Foundation. Also joining us uh, in the same office as uh, Kudzanayi is Leslie Wentworth, who is also heading some initiatives which are really associate with SEDEX integration and industrialization core and uh, really part also of the Southern Africa uh, Business Forum. And also she's going to tell us a little bit about some of the projects that are linked with the SEDEX Secretariat, specifically focusing on industrialization. Also, we have on the line William Mwanza, who's a TRELEC researcher. TRELEC is a capacity-building organization developing trade-related capacity in East and Southern Africa. Now, I want to start started this conversation with you, Kuzanai. I know we have limited time with you, but when we're talking about uh, regional integration, what are we referring to? Good morning. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you to your listeners. Um, I think we, when we look at regional integration, and I'll speak primarily from the transportation perspective, uh, specifically with regards to some of the rail infrastructure projects that we're looking at. Um, when we're looking at regional integration, we're looking at the ability uh, of us to be able to develop, as an example, seamless rail logistics corridors uh, that are able to tra- traverse multiple countries. Um, where you've got a pit-to-port solution, uh, wherein you do not have uh, excessive stoppages at various border posts. 
So one of the key practical things we're looking at uh, in, with regards to regional integration is our ability to be able to have a seamless rail logistics corridors. Um, and the same goes uh, for road logistics as well. Uh, the, the, the integration element that we're looking at is to say, if you have a particular road solution that is uh, moving cargo coming out of Ndola uh, destined for Durban, uh, that needs to be a seamless solution where, wherein there are very few stoppages at the different border posts. And in order for, for you to have that uh, seamless solution, you need to have the different countries uh, that are part of that entire corridor uh, interacting uh, in a seamless mm. manner. And, and that is the core of the regional integration element, uh, specifically with regards to transportation. Uh, mm. Of course, embedded within that, you could then look at uh, a lot of things such as uh, removal, removal, removal of trade barriers, mm. um, particularly the border posts, uh, non-tariff barrier issues that you, you need to look at. So you'd have a lot of policy uh, elements that you then dig into uh, in order to get that base uh, requirement, which is that seamless solution. Uh, which for us is, is really the underpinning element for, for regional integration insofar as transportation is concerned. Mm. Leslie, let's move on to you to look at that particular term, regional integration. I know you work with CEDEC, but overall, what are we talking about? And I hear there, just summing up what Kuzanai is talking about, and the main thing there that I sum from him, it's really an issue of connectivity within uh, the countries, within a region on the continent. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, so, so, in, so, in terms of the integration of the continent, which is, which is the primary goal of of the African Union, and the uh, African the Agenda 2063, uh, we're looking at at issues around practical integration and and those uh, that could be referred to in insofar as transport integration, infrastructure integration. Those are really the, the, the practical solutions that result from the various economies, mm. the various countries of Africa mm. um, coordinating, cooperating, and, and integrating closer together. Mm. There are, of course, numerous uh, theories on regional integration. We've got the long-standing linear integration model, which, which has been handed down from us from the European Union. We've got uh, the developmental integration models, etc. But in essence, what we're looking at is um, increasing the cooperation, economic, social, political cooperation amongst the 54 African countries with a view to in increasing trade and investment um, and, and in, in essence, improving the lives of African people by coming up with, with African solutions well, that's interesting. We'll come back to that issue of uh, localizing some of these uh, projects or making them very much continental because we know from region to region there are different needs and different exploitation in terms of what kind of industries are being explored. But let me move on right now to Trailac researcher William Wanza. Maybe you want to add something to this definition that we're trying to actually break down for our listeners when we talk about regional integration. What are we talking about, uh, William? Yeah, I think Kuzunai and Leslie have um, pretty much summed it up sure, well in sure. terms of the connectivity that we're trying to achieve um, across the regions or across countries. Um, I think uh, the, the main issue I would highlight is that it's about um, all these things are on paper. So it's about really harmonizing your policies and your laws and your programs which actually then form the basis for whether it's um, investment in or development of infrastructure, um, whether it's for removal of, of tariffs um, for goods that are being imported from, from different sources, whether it's actually removing non-tariff barriers that are actually being experienced as traders go on. So it, it's, it's really 
harmonizing at a regional level all your policies, your laws, your programs, as uh, as Leslie says, so that you can actually free the movement of trade, um, increase investment, um, movement of people across borders, and in the end, the well-being of, of, of uh, individuals within the countries. Mm. Do you think that we can create the space of uh, connectivity on the continent? Bring it back to you, the listener. Give us your thoughts. What do you think about the conversation we're having today? Do you think this is idealistic or this is an idea that we can't really achieve as a continent? Give us your thoughts. Remember that you can uh, send us your emails and also you can uh, send us your messages via that SMS number that we give you on our program. Give us your thoughts. Do you think that actually we can harmonize this different regions whereby the continent is actually more connected. I remember just recently, I had to go to Zimbabwe. It's not very far from where I stay, Johannesburg. I had to just cross the border at Bait Bridge. It was a nightmare. I have to tell you, I was going by bus because I wanted to save some money. It was the most horrific experience that I've ever had of just going from one place to another place. And I was thinking to myself, I'm actually a member of SEDEC just as a normal citizen. Why is it hard for me just to go across the border and just go to a friend's wedding. It was simply that I was just going to visit a country. Actually, I was actually going there just for a few days, but it took me longer going there than actually how much I spent there. And uh, so, hey, what are your thoughts? Do you think that Africa can create a space whereby we are more integrated? It's easy for me to go to Namibia. It's easy for me to go to Zimbabwe and just countries where I actually am in and part of my regional family. What are your thoughts? And we're going to speak about the challenges when we come back. We'll wrap it up with Kudzen Banguru who has to leave us because he has a meeting to go to so it's a very busy day for everybody but thank you to everyone who's made their time for us but hey let's take a quick break and we'll be back after this hello listener join channel africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations channel africa is turning 50 in may this year Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Hey, remember that if you want to send us an email, you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. And hey, you can also SMS us your views. Do you think that we can actually create a space where Africa is more integrated? And today we're speaking about regional integration. And let's start this part of the conversation with you, Kuzanai Bangura. Obviously, just experiencing what I just experienced a few weeks ago, this connectivity is still on paper. And I know that you work a little bit on the North-South Corridor. Tell us a little bit about the plans on that particular. What is the North-South Corridor and uh, what are we talking about when we're speaking about those trans- Transport corridors. So, thank you so much. Uh, and the North South Corridor is perhaps one of the best examples uh, that we can use as the NIPAD Business Foundation to try and demonstrate what we are trying to achieve uh, when it comes to regional integration. So, we have defined the North South Corridor as the railway line uh, and the and the road uh, linkages that are running all the way from South Africa, uh, running into Zimbabwe, running into Zambia, and running into the DRC. Um, so insofar as the rail is specifically concerned, we're looking at the spine, the main line that is running from Durban. It runs all the way through to Baybridge, uh, the border post which we had a bit of a nightmare with, uh, crossing over <laughs> Baybridge, running up to Livingston and Victoria Falls, uh, and then going up into Zambia 
Zambia into, into Ndola uh, and then running all the way through across the Zambia DRC border into Lubumbashi. Um, depending on who you're speaking to, you could have a different definition. You could have someone including the plum tree line, uh, which, which comes out of South Africa, runs in through Botswana, um, and then another leg as well that runs from uh, Zambia going up into, into, the, into, into uh, Dar es Salaam, which is the Tavari leg. Uh, so that's what we've defined as the North South Corridor. And, and as you can already see, it is essentially road and rail networks that are traversing multiple countries, those being South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. Um, and the core thing that we're looking at with this particular project is to say, how can we allow uh, both uh, transportation of goods and services across all these countries um, in a seamless manner? Uh, if we've got, as an example, copper that is coming out of the copper belt uh, in Solwezi, in, in the DRC, or in Kolwezi, in Kalumbila, in Zambia, how can we get that product moving uh, from, from pit to port? Uh, in the most seamless uh, and efficient manner. Uh, and there we're talking about key operating metrics such as uh, your transit times, your turnaround times, on-time departures. Uh, how can we get that solution mm-hmm. moving as quickly as possible? Um, and, the, and the reason we're looking at that is, is, is on, a couple of, uh, on a couple of levels. One, uh, we need to realize that as a continent, we are competing with the rest of the, of, of the globe in terms of uh, providing uh, resources, services, products. So, you know, if you're looking at, if you were talking about coal as an example, we're competing with the Australians to land coal in, in destinations such as China, Pakistan. Uh, if you're talking about copper, it's the same. You're competing with, with a lot of other exporters. Um, so the key, key thing then becomes how can we get uh, the, the lowest cost of transporting these goods and services? Um, and one of the key things that, that you need in order to, to lower that cost of transportation is mm. to have that seamless uh, logistic solution. Um, so on the rail side, you're talking about making sure you've got the infrastructure that is efficient, that is reliable, uh, that is well-maintained. Uh, on the road side, you're talking about uh, key things such as the border posts, making sure that you don't have these massive delays at the, at the different border posts, um, which is a, a classic example of what, what you experience. Um, so, so that's what we're looking at. And, and, the, and the regional integration element uh, then feeds into saying within each of those countries, you're dealing with the ministries of transport, uh, with the different rail operating entities, state-owned entities, uh, different road transportation agencies that form part of the core body that is responsible for movement of, of, of goods and services. Mm-hmm. And indeed people as well, because you've got a lot of passenger trains that move sure. between uh, all these different countries. Um, so be it you talking about uh, freight transportation, be it you talking about passenger transportation, whatever the case might be, we need to be able to move good services and people in a seamless manner, um, either if it is for export, uh, but also indeed, and, and, and my colleague Leslie will touch on this, for the intra-country uh, 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 trade as well, um, that is mm-hmm. on the continent. And this obviously then links up with the industrialization argument. Uh, mm. We think that they needs to be, it, it needs to be a lot easier for mm. Zambia to be able to trade with Zimbabwe. It needs sure. to be a lot easier for the DRC to trade with South Africa. Um, as an example, we know that we, we're currently sitting in a severe drought, uh, most of Southern Africa. Mm. Uh, some of the hardest hit countries are Zimbabwe, Zambia, and South Africa. Um, and we know that uh, there's, there's the need for a lot of maize to move up and down uh, between the different countries, depending on which country can support the other. So we know, as an example, that Zambia is actually moving a lot of maize into Zimbabwe to assist them. Um, and we know that Zimbabwe, they, they, they have the requirements of anything in excess of 700,000 tons uh, of maize that they need in order to assist them with regards to, to the job they're currently facing. Now, we need to be able to get that product out of Zambia into Zimbabwe in the most seamless uh, fashion at the lowest cost. Mm. Uh, if you're talking about cement that's coming out of Tanzania, moving into Zambia, uh, 
we need to be able to have that cement moving in a lot cheaper. Um, and an interesting point, I was speaking to some of my colleagues that were talking about this issue, you know, can we actually get uh, local cement uh, manufacturers supplying product cheaper than getting it elsewhere? Um, and they were specifically talking about the development up in, in East Africa, specifically in Kenya. And they were saying, look, we've got product that is now coming out of uh, India, landing in Kenya, because they're able to move that product um, at, at a lower cost. Uh, and we're actually unable to move that product uh, from Kenya to the different locations where it's required. It's coming from abroad. Um, and that speaks to your ability to lower that cost of transportation. And, and regional integration mm. is critical in, in lowering one of those key metrics. So, with that said, Kutanai, sorry to cut you off there, but you know we have those concepts in paper, but how, how far are we in realizing those corridors and making sure that it's not just something on paper, as was highlighted there by William as we started the program, but it's actually something that's becoming more realized year after year, but because it seems like it's a process that's not really taken off. So there certainly are a lot of strides that are, that are that have been realised. On the road side, you've got a lot of these one-stop border posts that are being established. Uh, one of the prominent ones is the one between the border with Zambia and Zimbabwe, which is fully functional and up and running. Um, and and one of the key things that SADC is trying to do is to replicate uh, that one-stop border post concept, which effectively uh, lowers a lot of the the transit time uh, looking at anything that is moving uh, through that border. So from a practical perspective, there are a lot of things that SADC is currently doing with the different the state to actually start getting uh, some of these key things uh, off the ground. Um, then on, on, on the rail side, if you take the North-South Corridor, there are key initiatives that are, that are already up and running. As an example, you've got what we call the block train that is currently running from Durban all the way up through into Ndola. And what that effectively means is you've got a train that will leave uh, the port of Durban and it will run non-stop all the way through uh, to, 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 to Ndola. Uh, whereas previously, and in fact with, with most other rail services, you will have that train going from station to station, uh, way to stopping at the different points. So that's an example of a practical sort of uh, solution that, that we currently have, uh, where you've got that attempt to have that more seamless solution on a particular corridor. Um, so, so if we're talking about practical elements, those are some of the key things that are, that are there on the ground. Uh, here I'm obviously talking a lot more about Southern Africa, uh, but if you, if you go elsewhere in, in the mm. continent, I think it's fair to say that that rate of progress is a lot slow. Uh, you know, you've, you've got a, less, a lot less of that uh, integration that, that is currently there. Uh, if, you, if you look at the Tazara rail network as an example, which links uh, Tanzania and Zambia, you do not have that operating as seamlessly and as efficiently as possible. So that corridor is not as efficient as it should be. Um, if you look at the central rail corridor as well, which is the rail network that's running from Dar es Salaam, um, and, and then which should be uh, going all the way up into uh, uh, Rwanda and Burundi, you don't have that rail link going into Rwanda and Burundi. Uh, so you've got a lot more, uh, if you're going further up, uh, East Africa, uh, I think the pace is a bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's debatable, um, and I'll obviously open it to, to your other uh, panelists to, to provide some comment on that as well. Well, thank you for giving us your time, Kutsunai Bangura. I know you have to leave us. That was uh, Kutsunai Bangura, who is the manager at the Napit Business Foundation's Africa Infrastructure Desk. And thank you for giving us your time on that little update on what's happening when it comes to the corridors and integrating uh, Africa in terms of transport from that perspective. Let me move to you, uh, William Wanza, before I go to Uh, In terms of progress that's been made, I know that currently right now we are seeing a sense of little movements when it comes to this integration project. But uh, where are the successes so far for the continent? And also you can include some challenges there. Um, 
Yeah, the progress, I think, overall, we know that it hasn't really um, proceeded as fast as eno- uh, enough as, as we'd really hope. Um, mm. And this, I think, is reflected in the low levels of intra-African trade. Um, we trade more with uh, with partners outside of the continent than we trade um, between ourselves. So that's, I think, the most key indicator of of where our regional integration initiatives are. I think intra-African trade is only between 12 and, and 15% um, currently. So I think the the aim is really to to increase this um, this percentage. See if it goes into the 25 percent, 30 percent, then you know that you're creating. There's much more that's being produced um, on the continent. Um, the the more jobs that are being created, um, and that has multiplier effects um, within the within the economies. Um, I think the Africa Region Integration Index that you mentioned at the beginning, I think, is quite a welcome tool in terms of monitoring and and really evaluating progress. And we see that I think in the EAC, it has been cited as the region that's um, doing the, uh, the 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 most um, in in terms of integration. It's it's recorded higher than average um, scores in almost all the five dimensions um, that this index um, has actually um, used to monitor to monitor progress. And and that's only except the financial and macroeconomic integration within the EAC. But otherwise, on some of the other dimensions like trade integration, we know that the operating a customs union. Um, among among the five member states, which is uh, is is operating quite well, um, also productive integration in terms of the industrialization. Um, there's there's more of Kenya being, I think, the regional hub, and other countries also benefiting um, in terms of uh, industrial linkages mm. within the, within the. Um, uh, within the region, also free movement of people. I think they've been also been doing quite well, and regional infrastructure. The efforts that are going on um, across across the other the other regional economic communities. I think the economic community of West African states is doing quite well on free movement of people. We know that they um, they have a, a single passport, um, an ECOWAS passport, um, which actually allows you um, to move within the region, and and perhaps maybe some of the challenges that you faced um, on on this side are more. Um, actually more addressed um, within that kind of region. Mm. The Intergovernmental Authority on, on Development, um, IGAD, is reportedly doing um, quite well on infrastructure. Um, but then I think there's also a trend where um, some of the regional powerhouses, such as Nigeria and Egypt, um, are not really being uh, have not really been reported as as being the most integrated. You would actually hope that um, we would be proceeding with regional integration by linking to these powerhouses, so South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, sure, and sure. Nigeria, and then some of these other smaller economies can actually leverage um, the opportunities within the linkages um, in, in those regions. So that's a bit of a concern, but then we hope that um, along the way, um, hopefully, that that would be addressed, that some of these um, some of these bigger countries would actually become more integrated. For the case of Nigeria, we know that I think it's been more dependent on on, on oil exports and, and with the commodity um price decline now, obviously there is the, the need and the recognition to actually move to more a, a more diversified economy, and there's the recognition to do this on a regional basis. So hopefully you'd actually be seeing that trend um, more and more. On the flip side, some of the other smaller contributors um, mm. to regional GDP are actually doing quite uh, quite well in terms of being integrated. I think Ivory Coast is one is one good example, meaning that there is actually um, some benefits that small countries can actually get from these um, from these frameworks. Um, but then the challenges, I think, um, mostly hard infrastructure deficiencies, I believe, are, 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 the, are the most uh, the, the most binding constraint to actually producing and trading across the continent. 
Um, we we know that in in recent in recent years there's been the narrative of Africa rising. At the beginning of this year, there was a conference, and I heard that Africa paused. Um, there has been a lot of interest in the continent, but then now I think we we still realize that there are those hard and fast um, challenges, especially mm-hmm. in infrastructure, that mm-hmm. need to be addressed for us to actually be producing um, and and trading in a, in a more efficient matter in a, a manner. Excuse me. But True. then there are also soft soft infrastructure um, issues that actually have to complement um, mm-hmm. the hard infrastructure that we're actually going to put in place. So regulatory issues um, across these um, these regional networks that we try to we try to build. It's just a shame that um, Kuzanai has left. But then one question that I would have had was um, just an example of a rail of a rail mm. route. Sometimes we hear that um, across countries, different countries can have different um, standard gauges. You know the the width of, of of the rail route itself. So for as long as a country has it on paper that um, this is the this is the width that our railroads are going to have within the country and they're different from the neighboring country then it might be a very practical difficulty in terms of like developing the rail route across the two countries um so those are some of the regulatory um sort sure. of impediments that have to also be um, um that also have to be addressed and maybe Leslie could um, could give some pointers on that on what the experience has been um, sure. Well, I have to barriers. I have to cut you off there, um, William. Okay. Sorry about that. I need to go to a break and then move on to to Leslie, and we'll come back to some other factors that you have there. Hey, today we're looking at regional integration. As I mentioned when we started the program, a little bit into the program, I was just talking about my experience at the Bay Bridge uh, <laughs> border, and I chilled there at least uh, accumulating kind of the times, the hours that I, I went in and came out. I think I spent around twelve hours at the border, and that's a whole day really more than my hours at work so i was really really not happy with that experience but do you think that we can have a space whereby in our regions there's freedom of movement there was a good example that was made with the eac there the community whereby there seems to be progress that's been made there but in the rest of the continent can we find our space where even regional one region to the next region we can actually connect easier give us your thoughts you can sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. When we come back, we'll uh, uh, start the conversation with Leslie Wentworth going to the idea of SADEX project. I know it's focusing on the issue of industrialization, especially from, uh, uh, especially how do you deal with it now when you're seeing that we have an economic downturn and that's where the challenges are. And also we'll look at where is the investment coming from for all these infrastructure pro- uh, uh, programs. We know that China also has made a commitment when it came in South Africa for its China-Africa summit. So does that actually pour into these projects that have to do with regional integration? Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. Can we be more integrated regionally and uh, can we fast track this project? Give us your thoughts. Remember, you can SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's let's come to this issue of uh, what's happening in terms of industrialization. I know there's a big commitment coming from SEDEC uh, uh, itself, looking at what it's actually doing. I know that we've seen Africa experiencing those external economic shocks, as was highlighted there by William, that there was seems to be a pause, especially when it comes to investment. We know there's that slowdown in China with its economy, declines in commodity prices, and also we're seeing that the likely continued U.S. Federal Reserve interest rate hikes that we are seeing. How, how are you dealing with these particular tensions? But before you tell us those, dealing with those tensions, give us a little bit of a backdrop of how do we actually see industrialization in the SADC region? Thank you so very much, and, and hello once again to your listeners. Um, so uh, very recently, uh, six months ago, we launched the Southern African Business Forum, which is an inclusive platform meant to engage in dialogue uh, the regional private sector with public sector made up of the SADC Secretariat in particular, but also SADC member states, um, so, so relevant officials. We, um, coming out of the, the first conference of the Southern Africa Business Forum, um, was a, a Sabuti declaration which was handed from the, the private sector membership at the conference um, and, and handed to the SADC Secretariat. Um, in this, they set out some of the, the challenges which business experience in doing business in the SADC region in particular. Um, in the first instance, there was the, the need for the establishment of regional value chains, um, and, and in that we, we look at uh, industrialization, which I'll come back to in just a short moment. There, you've, you've referred uh, co- consistently to the movement of people, um, and in, in that was one of the, the declaration points handed down by the Savuti Declaration as well. Um, my colleague William from Trellick uh, focused on uh, non-tariff barriers and trade facilitation. That was another critical issue that was identified by the private sector in terms of how, how do we address these. And then the, the three major networked infrastructure sectors, transport, energy, and water. What, what has happened subsequently is that we've actually worked together with the SADC Secretariat who have been very uh, embracing of this concept and, and uh, very dynamic, uh, dynamically engaged with us and with the, the private sector. We officially launched these working groups last week in Johannesburg, and we've already seen uh, quite significant uh, interest uh, in, in these. So in terms of the industrialization program or the industrialization strategy which, which uh, the SADC Secretariat has has now endorsed, um, has been in, in fact endorsed by, by all SADC member states at the last SADC uh, Heads of State Summit. Industrialization focuses on a move away from the traditional way of, of economics being that, uh, conducted on, on the continent. You know the process where, uh, in terms of our, our commodities, our mining commodities, oil, fossil fuels, etc., are exploited, extracted, and exported out of 
Africa, and, and here let's refer specifically to the SADC region. What uh, member states have, particularly given the, 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 the massive slump in commodity prices, member states have felt that, that we need to re, reorganize our, our, our economic development away from this, this um, what, what may have been, once been a, a lucrative process, but now we're, it's resulting in, in the fiscus of many African countries dropping by, by significant amounts. I think uh, the, the last quotation for Angola in terms of its drop in, in mm. the oil price, the effect of the drop in the oil price mm. uh, was, was that the, the fiscal revenues dropped by nearly 40%. So that gives you a sense of, of why we need to industrialize, why we need to, to focus on value addition in terms of our um, economic development process. And sorry to cut you off there, Leslie, but someone would ask, do we have the skill, do we have the capacity to actually be independent in regions like that, the way that you speak in? Um, I think that we, we have pockets of skills. I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You've put your finger on it. Education or, or lack of education in, in most Saudi countries, including South Africa, um, education is, is one of the, the greatest challenges. And I think that uh, the, the, the result uh, of, of the high unemployment rates, particularly amongst our youth, is, uh, is uh, you know, you, you see this pro- problem magnified as a result of the, the, the lack of focus on education. Um, there have been significant efforts, and we've, we have to take our hats off to many of the international cooperating partners, uh, amongst them from, from the United States, from the European Union, uh, from, from uh, Australia, et cetera. They, they, have, they have provided us with significant assistance in terms of capacity building of our populations in order to ensure that we're able to hmm. um, address this, this dearth in, in skills. Hmm. But it's also a process by, mean, by, by means of which we need to inject innovation in our processes. You know, I spoke earlier about African solutions. It's, it's very good to, to know the best practices that have been applied elsewhere in the world. But now to take those best practices practices and apply them in an African context. That, that is, is, is significant. We need to know the environment in which we work, the conditions in, in which we work, what our shortcomings are and how we're able to, to, to get a leg up uh, over those, those shortcomings. Mm. Let me come back to you, William, and uh, very interesting in itself, and most of it comes back to uh, just investment, and I know that that seems to be where the struggle is. Where do we get the capital from? Where do we get this money to invest in all these infrastructural programs? Where do we get actually support to actually maintain even the infrastructure we want to build? So what's the solution for that, William? I know that uh, recently the China-Africa summit happened last year, and they spoke a little bit about actually bringing in some support for these kind of projects. But is China the only solution? Um, thank you, Benjamin, and hello again to your, to your listeners. Um, I think just before I also address that, um, just to also welcome um, what Leslie has said on the Southern African Business Forum. Um, 
really these these agreements are there um, for the use of private actors. It's, it's governments agreeing on these um, or framing these agreements and implementing them so that the person on the streets that's consuming a certain commodity has a wider choice um, and also private sector players small and medium scale enterprises who are within in the respective countries um, are actually being able to um, to produce and to trade and 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 that has uh, well significant benefits in terms of development of a, of a middle class uh, which will will just reinforce the development process um, so I think to have an organized private sector voice um, which is actually making demands on the system um, is actually very welcome um, in terms of infrastructure um, it, it, it has been um, quite a significant development I think in SADC, um having this regional infrastructure sort of development master plan where there's a focus on um, on uh, actually these regional networks in all these different sectors, uh, Leslie highlighted transport, energy, and water. Um, I think before we get to the financing of the infrastructure itself, the financing is the most critical issue. There's also an issue of bringing these projects up to a bankable stage where a financer can actually come in and actually put their money because this project is actually worth with financing and it can be seen um, to, to its completion and it's going to make returns um, on the investment. So within SADC there is the uh, project preparation and development facility which um, has been um, has been developed in the past few years and that's, that's, av that's one avenue which um, countries can now use to actually bring their projects to a bankable level through feasibility, pre-feasibility studies, environmental impact assessments, all that, all that work that needs to go in. Um, development partners are playing a key role in, in for example, the, that that particular facility, and they're going to be um, they're going to be avenues which national governments can actually use. I mean, there is the challenge that. Infrastructure returns to infrastructure are only realized uh, much further down um, along the road. So maybe governments have a difficulty actually investing um, in in huge um, infrastructure projects because of the public purse um, being restricted. But then I think also just touching touching on the on the innovation that's needed, if governments can agree to fund certain sections of a regional network in their own countries. Hopefully, then we'll be we'll be moving towards um, a situation where um, we're, we're more relying on ourselves to to actually implement these projects in a coordinated way. Um, the development partners are there, and then there's regional funds that can actually be um, that can actually be developed. And we know that the African Development Bank is is actually big on energy and some of these other transport infrastructure um, um, projects and. Certainly, they're going to be the ones who I think are taking the lead in providing, um, from a multilateral level, um, financing um, into into regional funds, which can then uh, be channeled directly to these to these regional projects. But mm -hmm. then there are also other other instruments that are being used. I know that Zambia I think floated some regional um, infrastructure bonds. So that depends, though, on how well the country is doing in terms of its credit rating. So there'll be a lot of macroeconomic um, fundamental issues which need to be developed within a country for it to have a good credit rating. Mm. And then it can actually issue a bond on the international market. 
and people are going to invest because people are looking for the next place to um, to put their money and mm. across the globe it's pretty saturated and that next place um, is Africa so sure. by the time that you have your macroeconomic environment your ease of doing business in place and you have a good credit rating then you can issue that that um, international bond and people are going to actually sure. invest in that and then sure, you can sure. use the finances um, to actually invest in this infrastructure project. Mm. Well, we have to wrap it up there. And I think that I had to give you each time to actually speak specifically on certain areas because uh, we had limited time. I didn't want to actually interrupt during the the process of engaging with all of us. And that's I think that we did well just to break down some of these areas. But thank you to our guests. Thank you to uh, Trelec researcher William Wanza for joining us on the line. Thank you as well to Leslie Wentworth, who is also part of the uh, NAPED Business Foundation and also is focused on uh, SEDEX integration and industrialization call in uh, the Southern Africa Business Forum. Thank you uh, all for giving us your time. Thanks for having Thanks me as well. Thanks very much. Just a reminder, earlier on, before them, we had Kudzanai Bangure, who's also the manager at the National, and rather the NAPED Business Foundation's Africa Infrastructure Desk, who is giving us a little bit on uh, the transport uh, corridors perspective of things. But hey, let's quickly move on. Let's get a quick break and then we'll get our business news. Nelson Mandela has been a lawyer and a freedom fighter, a political prisoner, peacemaker and president a healer of nations, and a mentor to generations of leaders and people from all walks of life throughout the world. Nelson Mandela gave 67 years of his life to bring change to the people of South Africa. Our gift to him can and must be to change our world for the better. I joined the Nelson Mandela Foundation in urging each and every one of us to perform 67 minutes of public service on Nelson Mandela International Day. Take action, inspire change, make every day a Mandela Day. In 2009, the United Nations declared the 18th of July as Nelson Mandela Day. This is in recognition of the former South African state president's contribution to the culture and peace and freedom for all. Channel Africa, celebrating Mandela Month. Good morning with your economics news. I'm Musani Matebula. The lack of free movement of goods and labor across uh, Africa has come up as a challenge hampering the continent's economic growth and development. This came out at the African Union Summit currently underway in Kigali, which is Rwanda's capital city. Larger economies have been called upon to simplify interconnection among nations if Africa is to thrive. Sylvanas Karimera reports. As the heads of state scheduled to meet in Kigali later in the week, sidelines meetings are ongoing here. Key issues that come up in the meeting convened by Chairperson of the African Union, Dr. Nkonsuzana Lamini Zuma, concerned the ease of free movements of people and labor in Africa. 
Kenya Airways has sacked 8 million employees in one of the cost-cutting measures. About 500 more workers will be sent home in their ongoing redundancies following reduction of the airline's fleet and mounting losses. Managing Director of Kenyan Airways, Mbuvi Nguze, conveyed the heartbreaking but anticipated news last week, Friday. And South Africa's trade union, AMCU, says it will demand 860 US dollars as a minimum wage for its lowest paid members when it starts wage talks with Anglo-American Platinum, Impala, Lonmin today. AMCU's president, Joseph Matunja, says the lowest paid workers currently take home around $550. Rulani Baloi reports. Rising costs, labor unrest and plunging commodity prices have been squeezing the platinum sector in South Africa. The union made similar pay demands during the platinum wage talks in 2014, as well as in the gold sector in 2015, saying it was seeking a living wage for its members. In both instances, the union was unsuccessful, triggering a five-month wage stoppage in the platinum sector. The platinum industry is still recovering from recent strike action with loanmen and implants forced to raise cash from investors and implants hastening its mechanization drive through sales. Financial indicators now the US dollar trading at fourteen fifty one to the South African Rand at ten point seven two Botswana Pula and ten point zero nine Zambian Guacha also trading at zero point seven seven to the British pound and zero point ninety against the Euro commodities gold one thousand three hundred and fifty five dollars platinum at one thousand ninety one dollars per fine ounce Brent crude oil is at forty six dollars thirty seven cents per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. In our sports update this hour, we're teeing off with golf news. International Golf Federation Chief Peter Dawson says top male golfers have done the image of their sport a disservice in withdrawing en masse from the Olympics over the Zika virus. American two-time major winner Jordan Spieth became the latest star to withdraw on Monday, meaning a top four in the world would not be in Rio as the final list of 60 was unveiled by Dawson at Royal Troon, host to this week's British Open. In his previous position as RA chief executive, Dawson lobbied long and successfully for the International Olympic Committee, IOC, to restore golf to the Games after a 112-year absence. And the field for the 145th Open Championship is now set, with the last four players completing the 156-man group for Royal Troon. The final four punched their ticket via the Scottish Open on Sunday afternoon. South Africa's Jakob van Seyl withdrew from both the Open and the PGA Championship to rest up and focus on the Olympics, which is quite a departure from all the other players from his country, withdrawing from either apathy or Zika fears. Charles Schwarzel, Louis Osteisen and Brendan Grace. Schwarzel says he's looking forward to the Open. Links golf to me means a big challenge. <laughs> I've always found it more difficult than the golf we play in most year um, 
but uh, I'm really looking forward to the challenge. You know, I came a little earlier this year, and uh, you know, I just really want to find a way. If I, you know, I figured if I want to win the Open, I've got to find a way to play links golf better. And uh, you know, you need to adjust. You know, I don't think same sort of ball flights and swings that you use doesn't necessarily work over here. You know, we don't have it's cold. You don't have so much feel. So I'm really up for the challenge of seeing of doing a little few changes to see if I can. Uh, can be better at it. And the South African team for the Rio de Janeiro Summer Olympics in Brazil will be announced on Thursday. Initial reports suggest that just over 160 athletes have achieved the qualifying criteria. Harry Olifir compiled this report. Athletics will have the biggest representation in the team. Around 60 athletes have achieved qualifying standards, but the squad is expected to be around 40 as each country is limited to three athletes per discipline. Sunet Valjun, Wade van Niekerk and Kostas Semenya are the big medal hopes. But for the first time since the country's return to the Olympics, no relay team will take part. Chad Leclerc and Cameron van Eyberg will lead the charge in the swimming pool. And finally, the Nigeria Football Federation, the NFF, has secured a 1.5 million U.S. dollars bond from the Nigeria National Petroleum Corporation, the NNPC, to take care of the salary and other emulates of Super Eagles foreign coach. The federal government has made it clear it will not pay for any foreign coach hired by the NFF for the Super Eagles ahead of the qualifiers for the 2018 World Cup, but could approve such appointment if the federation guaranteed the payment of such a coach. The NFF now has a bond of 1.5 million US dollars from NNSS and so they can employ a foreign coach. The NFF says the successful coach will now be announced on the 18th of July. Nigeria is drawn in a tough World Cup qualifying group that is Africa's number one team, Algeria, nine-time World Cup finalists, Cameroon, and 2012 African champions, Zambia. And that's the Sport News this hour.
Oh no, 